Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers! We have a very special mother effing episode so you can for you say today. It, like... No, 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 I keep it G-rated here for Profiles. <laughs> but this is an actor that we're spotlighting today who has made more than a hundred films. Yeah. He is an amazing actor. <laughs> it was like, why have we not done Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson. Jackson yet? So no better time than the present. Here we are. Yes. What is it about Samuel L. Jackson? He's the best. He's uh, such a pro- prolific actor. <laughs> As you said, over a hundred films. He's the highest grossing actor of all time. He's played big roles. He's played sidekicks. He's been in blockbusters like Jurassic Park and Star Wars. And then he's been in indie films like Black Snake Moan. I don't think anyone delivers a monologue quite like him. No and he's way. good at being angry as well. Angry and funny. I'm kind of afraid of him, if you yeah. want to know the truth. <laughs> yeah, you've interviewed him, haven't you? Yeah. Me too. And and he's lovely, but yeah, I, he's always got that edge to him. I feel like he could turn on me at any moment. Yeah, I interviewed him for Snakes on a Plane at Comic-Con in like 2006. <sighs> and he was actually pretty fun with it because that was a movie, you know, I know we're going to talk about it, but that was a movie that like the, the internet storm that that caused was, was just crazy. Wearing my Snakes on a Plane t-shirt right now, which I bought on opening day of Snakes on a Plane. Oh, nice. I still have it. And you bought that where? Because you weren't in the US yet. No, it was in Australia. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Wait, wait, let me see that again. So it's got a snakes, snakes plus, plus a plane equals, equals snakes, snakes on, on a plane. plane. That gets a high five. Pretty simple. The high fives are going already. But here's an actor. <laughs> he is an incredible actor. He plays tough, intimidating roles. He swears a lot, especially yep. one swear word in particular that we are not going to say. But if you know Samuel L. Jackson, you know where we're going. Yeah, there was a super cut of all the times he said the word in a film 171 times. Which movie was that? That, that was all the films he's done. <laughs> So 171, 171 times, times in films. I'm actually surprised it's not more. I know. Because in one film in particular, it sounds like he does say it 171 yeah. times. But I got to say, as many movies as he made, doing this profiles, I realize, you know what? He hasn't made enough as a lead actor. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always a supporting actor. He always steals the show. Yep. But where is, like, where are more movies where he is the lead, the de facto lead of character? And I feel like we need to start a movement with this episode of Profiles to yeah. make that happen. Yeah, I'd love to see him as a lead more because he's such a great actor. I still feel like he has an Oscar there somewhere. You know, he's been nominated before, but yep. it would be great to see him nominated for a Best Actor Oscar. He just loves to work. You know, he's working constantly, all the time. And even the films that aren't such a success he enjoys it. He enjoys the whole process. Pretty amazing transformation for him too because he started out, he was a 
former drug addict. Yep. He was an alcoholic. Now he's so famous and doing so well. Yeah. It's just it, lovely to see someone take that, you know, and just shine. And, and he does shine and he is very prolific. And since his breakthrough performance in Pulp Fiction, he's done, he's averaged like three to four movies a year. Uh-huh. And he does like to entertain people. Uh, in fact, he himself said, I'm not here trying to change the world. I'm just trying to entertain people. And I don't understand how people live without creating. I don't know how you do just just one picture a year. You know, people <laughs> would kill for one picture a year. I know. You know, but he's doing like three or four. And uh, I always wondered, what does the L stand for? Leroy. Is that what it stands yeah. for? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yes, Samuel Leroy Jackson. I was standing next to a reporter one time on a line and someone said, what does the L stand for? What he said, say? none of your effing business. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to IMDb, it's Sam Leroy Jackson, but I mean, that could be wrong. Well, but that's th- what, there that's you what go. it says. But, uh, you know, this is an incredible actor and he's got, he's got so many movies this year. I mean, he was in Avengers 2. He's mm-hmm. got, uh, uh, he was in, um, uh, The Kingsman. Yep. Secret Kingsman. Service. He's, he's got, got Hateful Eight, Hateful Eight, coming, Eight out. coming out. Again, there's three movies right there. Amazing. But you, like you said, this was a, a hard start for him. Yep. So a wonderful life a tough life and that's our cue samuel leroy jackson was born hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Born on December 21st, 1948 in Washington, D.C. His father, Roy Henry Jackson, lived away from the family, so he was raised by his mother, Elizabeth. Jackson was actively involved in the civil rights movement of the late 1960s, which included a brief stint with the Black Power Movement. He then moved to Los Angeles and enrolled at Morehouse College, where he majored in marine biology, architecture, and then, finally, drama. But it was his Oscar-nominated performance as Jules Winfield in 1994's Pulp Fiction that really put Jackson on the map, and he's been working nonstop ever since. With a combined tally of more than $4.5 billion, Samuel L. Jackson is ranked as the highest-grossing box office star of all time. I love that song. That's a great song. Ding, ding, ding. And we're going to hear more about that movie's music, in particular, that movie, later on in this episode of Profiles. But I'm curious, Alicia Malone, mm-hmm. what is your first blood? I was looking at his filmography, and I think it was Jurassic Park. 1993. Because Jurassic Park I saw before Goodfellas. Okay. Oh. But that would have been one that I would have seen him in early on as well. So Jurassic Park, I remember Hold On To Your Butts. (laughs) I remember his character (laughs) and noticing him. And then, of course, when I saw Pulp Fiction later on, that was when I really, really knew who he was. But yeah, it would have been Jurassic Park. What about you? Didn't he have that cigarette hanging out of his mouth the entire time? Yeah. Sitting behind that desk in Jurassic Park. And it just never moved. Yeah. It was always just sort of hanging there. That's what I remember about him in Jurassic Park. (laughs) My first blood for Samuel L. Jackson is is uh, Jungle Fever ah. from 1991. I remember when that came out and I remember thinking he played the brother, the drug-addicted brother to Wesley Snipes in that movie. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't much of a stretch for him to play a character like that because he was still recovering It from was that. like a month and a half after he left rehab that he did that movie. Exactly, yeah. So 
So great performance, harrowing performance. I remember thinking, who is this guy? He kind of stole the show. And I had seen, you know, Goodfellas, but I mean, he had such a small. Yeah, exactly. I didn't he got shot. Him he in got that. killed. He got whacked by <laughs> yeah. uh, Joe Pesci's uh, Tommy DeVito. But <laughs> that year, when Jungle Fever played at the Cannes Film Festival in yeah. 1991, they created an award for his performance, supporting actor, because he was so strong in that film. And They've never given that award ever since. He's the only actor to win a supporting actor award from the Cannes Film Festival. Amazing. That is how strong And I've is. never seen Jungle Fever. It is very good. So that's going to put that on my list. To put it on your list because one of these days we're also going to to profile Spike Lee. Oh, yeah. And I think that will be on the list as well. Definitely. Well, let's get on to a movie that is on our list. Fast Five. Number five is... You are about to have a very bad day. Tell me about it. Uh, Die, Die Hard, Hard with, with a, a Vengeance. Vengeance, released May 19th, 1995, directed by John McTiernan. Cost $90 million to make box office worldwide. For 1995, this is very impressive. $366 million worldwide. Watching this movie again. I, I love it. It's so fun. It's actually my favorite of the Die Hard series. I know that everybody loves the original, but for me, Die Hard with a Vengeance is one that, that stuck with me ever since I saw it as a kid. I, I love how smart it is. I mean, the, the puzzles and especially his character Zeus, Sam's character Zeus, he is so instrumental in solving a lot of those riddles. Yeah, it's a smart movie. It's a really smart movie. And this was the first time in the Die Hard franchise that they became like a duo, a buddy cop duo. I mean, he was a reluctant partner. He was working just in a Harlem electronic shop and yeah. trying to steer his kids in the right direction. And then John McClane comes into his life with the sandwich board and then everything changes. But after that, the Die Hard movies, which the next one wasn't for another 12 years yeah, later. Yeah, 2007. Since then, they've always been the kind of duo Right. Rather than the first few, and it was just John McClane by himself. I'm, no, I'm with you. I mean, the first one is what it was. I mean, it, the first movie created a genre unto itself where movies were like Die Hard on a boat, Die Hard on a plane. That's right. But uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, the, the pairing of Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, even though they hate each other, yeah. they have great chemistry, the back and forth between them, and then ultimately you sort of feel this gradual shift to where they become friends. Mm-hmm. But Zeus... The character's name for Samuel Jackson. So Zeus is the god of thunder and lightning, mm-hmm. and Zeus, uh, the character, is an electrician. Yeah, da, da, da. Da, da, da. clever those writers of Die Hard with cool. the Vengeance. And Sam Jackson for this role takes a step back. I mean, it's John McClane, it's Bruce Willis's movie, and he's worked with Bruce Willis many times, so they have this great chemistry together. But this was the third movie they made together, but the first one where they actually had scenes together because yeah. they did Load of Weapon One, which. Nobody saw, <laughs> thankfully. Pulp fiction. Pulp fiction, yeah. So, but this movie, uh, it, you know, what I love about it, like you said, it's a smart film. It was originally, the title of the original screenplay was Simon Says. Yeah. And it was supposed to be the fourth installment of Lethal Weapon. Right. So that didn't happen. So then that changed it's and it became hard. the third Die Hard. I like also that the, the title is not a pun. You know, it's Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's not vengeance. like Die Harder yeah. and all that stuff that <laughs> came <hardest>. later. <laughs> Die Hardest. Uh, the Washington Post was talking about the film and said that the best thing about the movie is the relationship between McLean and Zeus Jackson is almost as good as he was in Pulp Fiction. I think that's part of the reason I really like this movie is because of the chemistry between the two. Totally agree. 
Totally agree. But you know, I always like to quote the great Roger Ebert. Yeah. Uh, what he said about Die Hard with a Vengeance, basically a wind-up action toy cleverly made and delivered with high energy. It delivers just what it advertises, yes, with a vengeance. <laughs> it <laughs> moves I, along at such a great pace. And <laughs> I love the first choice to play Simon. Yep. Was Sean Connery. Oh, wow. Sean Connery was supposed to play Simon. And the first choice cool. to play Zeus yes. was... Was? Yes. Was. was. I, I think you know I, this. I wrote that down. No, I didn't. Okay, it's Lawrence Fishburne. Yes, I actually, I rem- yes, Roll originally offered to Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. He passed, and I'm like, ever since, people have confused Lawrence Fishburne and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, I but- think I saw him wearing a t-shirt saying, I'm not Lawrence Fishburne. They're oh, not, that is hilarious. They don't look similar. No, they don't, they don't look alike. So- you know, you have to be an idiot to kind of get them confused. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> well, our profilers love Die Hard with a vengeance. Steve Zissou says... Yes, Steve! Hey, Steve! Says, I grew up on Die Hard. Sam Jackson as Zeus revitalized the franchise by bringing his humor to a much wider audience his chemistry with his fellow actors is a very strong attribute and that shined bright with bruce willis they turned a tired formula into something fresh and the franchise has lost all steam since i agree <laughs> i agree, <laughs> agree. die hard with a vengeance is the best sequel and rivals the original in entertainment and it introduced samuel l jackson to casual movie goers he has not missed a beat since as a go-to actor for any franchise did you and steve this who talked before this because that is exactly what you just said wavelength and i didn't even see that quote till just now well there you go right on well norman stansfield said sam jackson has an intense commanding presence to him he is great at playing authority figures as well as playing bad mother effers he can also (laughs) play characters who are outrageously funny like zeus and die hard 3 Mm -hmm. or steven from django unchanged he is awful unchanged unchanged Unchanged. (laughs) yeah uh he is often the most entertaining part of the movies he in and that is absolutely true well there is a a lot of great scenes when it comes to sam jackson movies because he's so good at those monologues should i should i assume that you picked the one yeah and you picked the one well i picked a scene from the movie with the one okay why don't you talk about the one the one Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the iniquities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Keep going. Blessed is he. Well, keep going. That oh, I've forgotten. Oh, you didn't write it down. No, I wrote down that bit and then like. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll finish it off. Who? Blessed he. I, I don't know, but then he he ends it off. And you will know. He's, no, wait. Because for he's truly his brother's keeper and a. Something of lost something. Um, for you all know. For you all know. My name is, is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you. I love that scene because of the way it builds and because of how much it shows about that character of Jules, that he is this Bible-quoting hitman. It's such a weird concept that only Quentin Tarantino could come up with. And when he cool says suit. that, when he starts saying that, yeah. your ass is grass. Your ass you is grass. You know you're in trouble when he starts saying that. I, but, I used to know that off by heart, so I thought I could like prompt myself with the first line. But no. Pretty damn good. I'll That's pretty damn again. good, Alicia. My, my favorite scene is from Pulp Fiction. It's a scene at the diner when he spares Ringo and Honey Bunny. Yep. Because he's sitting there, he's got the gun... 
and Ringo is just sitting across from him, <laughs> and he's like, "I'm going to spare you. Just give me the wallet. Which one is it? It's the one that says bad mother effer on it." <laughs> yeah. And he gives them the cash. He just wants his wallet back, and he's like, <laughs> "Travolta's like, I think we better get out of here because, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good idea." But that whole dialogue, the yes, dialogue, and his delivery of it's it, it's so tense as well. That so scene, intense. You just don't know what is going to happen, and you feel for Jules by that stage. Well, because he said he wanted to. He wants to get out. He wants to walk the earth. He wants to be. He, he wants redemption. He wants change. So that you want to see him get that change. You do want to see him. You like Jules. Yeah, I like Jules a lot. I like Jules. He's a cool guy. I don't want to mess with him. No. I don't want to sit across him in a diner. But he's super cool. But with more than a hundred movies, yep. there are there's a lot of lot of last details. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, of trivia. trivia about Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. So hit me up with something. Well, did you know that Sam Jackson worked as Bill Cosby's stand-in on The Cosby Show for a few years? I did not know that. So he says, I was the right height and right skin tone. For two to three years, they would put his crazy sweaters on me. That was before anyone knew who he was. Uh, I wonder if those sweaters hopefully have been burned. (laughs) Yeah. Did you know that Samuel Jackson is an avid golfer? Oh, yeah. And when he is not acting, he's golfing. In fact... I forget what movie I was interviewing him for, but I just I said, don't you take a break? He goes, why would I take a break? I, I just like to make movies. Mm-hmm. And he said, if I go on location for a film, he said, I try to find the nearest golf course because that will depend, that will make help make my decision of whether yes. or not I'm going to do the film. So he bases location shooting. I heard that. That is crazy. I heard he also sometimes has it in his contract that he can go golfing on certain days so that he can, you know, just have his downtime. That's pretty cool. He loves it. Did you know he's turned down or couldn't do the roles in, roles in Boogie Nights, Hotel Rwanda, The Matrix, and Training Day? Oh, Hotel Rwanda, huh? That would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Although Don Cheadle was great. Who was he going to be in Boogie Nights? Oh, the same Don Cheadle character. Yeah. Oh, man. I feel like, yeah, Don Cheadle and Lawrence Fishburne, they've done those guys. Parallel careers at times. But that's what I mean. Samuel Jackson, he's got to have a lead performance. He needs a movie that's not just entertaining, Mm. but one that really showcases his talents so he can not only get nominated for an Oscar, but win. Maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe he doesn't care. He should. He should. Because he's great. Because he's great. Absolutely. Well, I know we talked about how he makes more than uh, three to four films a year, but he was 46 years old when he made Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I mean, how's that for like hitting your stride at, at 46? Yeah. And it was his 30th film. At the time, but Man. it's the one that made him a star. One that, like, broke him through. Well, a bit of a sad fact. Did you know he overdosed on heroin several times? I did not know that. Yeah, sad. I'm glad he kicked that habit. Jeez. Well, uh, one final thing, because he was actually very active in the civil rights movement, like we said. Yeah. He was an usher at Martin Luther King's funeral. That's amazing. That is amazing. He's had nine lives. Nine lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back into our fast five. At number four is... Now, I know you all like stats, so let me give you some. Richmond High only graduates 50% of its students. And of those that do graduate, only 6% go to college. Amazing. Wow. Coach, Coach Carter. Carter. Coach Carter is a damn good movie. Mm-hmm. This movie came out January 14, 2005, directed by Thomas Carter. No relation. Uh, <laughs> cost us $30 million. It made $67 million domestic. It was a big hit uh, early that year. You know, movies that open in January, as you know, mm-hmm. are not that great. Usually. This one was usually. This yeah. is the exception to the rule. And this is a film, Coach Carter. 
It has every sports cliche in the book. Yeah. But what is it about this film that actually makes it better than you would expect? I think it's Sam Jackson. It I is absolutely Sam Jackson. And what he brings to the role, it could have been a very forgettable sports film. And it is very formulaic at times. It's based on an interesting true story. You know, it's about this coach who made headlines in 1999 for benching his undefeated team because they didn't get very good academic results. And But he, he kind of elevates this very standard sports redemption story with his character. He's got, you know, an edge of hardness to him he's got that uh, command about him he's not someone you want to cross and he's someone who sticks with his word and i think it is a very inspiring tale it tells some important truths it's an inspiring film it's a rousing film and sam jackson's performance elevates the movie above all of those cliches yeah it is it's a fun movie it's energetic i mean you like the supporting characters and i did a double take when i saw channing tatum yeah, that was his first his ever movie. First movie. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, I forgot Tatum? that he was in it. When we're going back and rewatching this movie, isn't it fun to like see actors, you know, when we think about the movies and then you see, oh, there's Paul Giamatti and yeah. there's Channing Tatum. It makes me realize that it is six degrees of separation with everyone in Hollywood because I feel like everyone's worked with someone at, at some point has worked with someone and works with someone like you could do a whole map of everyone who's worked with each other it is a shark infested pool <laughs> it's amazing well I know that you like Roger Ebert yes, and I do. his quotes so he said that Jackson has the usual big speeches assigned to all coaches in all sports movies but he delivers on them big time his passion makes familiar scenes feel new and that's the, true. The Orlando Sentinel said Jackson plays the coach with wit and authority. His imposing presence ensures that he won't have to take much from anyone, even from the toughest punk on the team. Yeah. So, I mean, again, and I love the way the movie ended. Yes. Because he thought it was going to go one way. And then it didn't. It didn't. For once. We're not going to spoil that ending because <laughs> we think you should see Coach Carter. Yeah. One of Samuel Jackson's best movies. Chris Day agrees. In a lead role. In a lead role. It's mm-hmm. a lead role. We want to see more of Sam Jackson in a lead role. Chris Day says that Coach Carter is a remarkable true story that has unbelievable acting not only by sam jackson but also the rise of channing tatum the movie was what i think the best well one of the best films of 2005 and a true story check it out it's on netflix i always thought channing tatum's first movie was step up films the dance movies Uh but no it was actually coach carter (laughs) billy polahan says i'm not sure if this will make the fast five yes it did but my favorite samuel l jackson film has to be coach carter such an underrated performance from jackson ken carter is more worried about his players education than actually winning the games the intensity and passion behind carter's coaching methods calling everyone sir and doing many many push-ups and suicides Gosh, I hate suicides. <laughs> causing his players to quit and parents to try to fire him. But through all that, Jackson's intense but cool performance makes the ending so satisfying and great. Samuel L. Jackson may be the coolest actor of all time, and this profiler cannot wait to see more of him for many years. Hashtag film geek. Hashtag profiler for life. Mother F. Mother F. <laughs> Way to go, Billy Pye. I'll tell That's you. That's so great. Well, now is a time where we usually pause to take care of some business. Yes. Why don't you do the honors? Okay. Well, usually... Usually we are live every week or every second week on 
on YouTube. At the moment, we are not. But if this is streaming live, I'm going to jump into the live chat. Yes. And talk to people. So, hi, me. Hi. Who's chatting right now. <laughs> you can find us on YouTube.com slash Popcorn Talk Network, where you can subscribe. Make sure you follow us on iTunes if you want to listen to the audio podcast and rate and review. It's very important that you... Put down your thoughts. Give us a five star if you want us to continue doing this show, and we definitely do. Also, give our Facebook page a like. Profiles with Malone and Mance. That's where you can participate in the brackets, and that's also where we find all these quotes that we read from all the profilers. And you can follow us on Twitter, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. Pause. At Alicia Malone at Movie Man. Yes! Did I do all right? Way to go! Yay! Give it up. That Woo! is a high five. Time for another drink. <laughs> very, very good. Excellent job, Alicia Malone. Yeah. And that brings us to our quiz show. Oh, quiz show, which I've already... I've already ruined mine. Why? Um, because we've already talked about it. So you go with yours. What was your? What, what did we talk about? It was about. It was like which of these films has Samuel and Bruce Willis didn't? Which oh, which they didn't I, they star together? Gotcha. We okay, we already about talked them. about so that. You well, go with yours. All right, this one's easy because I know how much you love the Star Wars movies. Okay, in the Star Wars prequels, <laughs> yeah. what color was Mace Windu's lightsaber? Ooh. Was it? I think a I know this one. green, yeah. B blue, yeah. C purple, yeah. D red, purple. Oh, she's I got actually it. I knew done. that one. Good Woo! job. She's got it. Usually, I'm not oh, good with boy. trivia, but no, that you one. are good with trivia. I'm good at. All this right. This is just the tip of the iceberg, my friends. Do we have time to go into our fast five number three before our guest calls in? Well, I think we should. I think we should. Uh, or should we talk about the others? Let's go for the others. Okay. Excellent idea. Sam Jackson has over a hundred movies, so obviously we're not going to get to all of them with our fast five. So the others is where we talk about the other films that we love of his, like Django Unchained. Django Unchained. I mean, that was the fifth time he worked with Quentin Tarantino, although he was just a voice in Inglorious Bastards. And his Stephen, you know, is Calvin Candy's loyal house slave, and he's so fierce in this role. Again, not a starring role, but he does such a good job. You. you Burns into your brain as that character. Definitely. And I know you didn't go like crazy looks. about this movie, but I loved Unbreakable. It's a cult favorite now. People yeah, like it. It is a cult favorite. It is a, I think the problem with Unbreakable was it was the first movie that M. Night Shyamalan made after The Sixth Sense. Yeah. And it wasn't as good as The Sixth Sense, and but I love that it was. Been. And nothing else has been. That is very true. <laughs> I hope you can sadly, come back, sadly, sadly, <laughs> we're hoping that his next movie, The Visit, is actually pretty decent. I but love the long. Oh yeah. So you love Unbreakable, Unbreakable with Mr. Glass? It, well, because it's just it, it is a superhero origin story. That is grounded in reality. And I love the twist ending. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say what it is, so you'll have to watch Unbreakable because it's good. I love The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yep. I love Gina Davis. And as Mitch Hennessy, uh, Samuel plays the detective who's helping her character, who has amnesia, remember, you know, what she was in her past. And he's a Mormon who smokes and drinks. He's great. You love Gina Davis. I love Gina Davis. She's the best. Uh, an, an underrated little scene film, a gem called Mother and Child. I haven't seen it. It came out in 2010. It's an ensemble film about uh, uh, adoption, about mm-hmm. women trying to have kids. And Sam Jackson plays an attorney who's seduced by someone who works for him, played by Nomi Watts. And it is a subtle 
understated performance. You know, you think Sam Jackson, you think of Pulp Fiction or just yep. other intimidating roles. This is a really profound, poignant, understated role that he's done and a movie that not a lot of people have seen. And yep. it is excellent, excellent movie. Another indie that I don't think a lot of people have seen is Black Snake Moan. It was actually the first film that I saw in America when I was over here for a visit a couple of years ago uh, before I moved here. And he plays Lazarus, who's trying to cure Christina Ricci's character of nymphomania by tying her up. Um, it's directed and written by Craig Brewer. And Ebert says, it is the oddest, most peculiar movie I've seen about sex, race, and redemption in the Deep South. It's weird, but it I like it. It's a weird movie. I only saw it once, but I remember it sort of leaving me with a disturbed sort of feeling. Yeah, it does. It's uh, very disturbing. I love, I'll tell you, a movie that I just love is The Red Violin. Yes. The Red Violin played at the Toronto Film Festival in 2000, uh, 1998. But one of our other favorite movies is The Negotiator, which yes. came out in 1998, was directed by F. Gary Gray. And joining us right now on the phone, we are very excited to welcome F. Gary Gray to Profiles. Gary, you are on the line with Alicia and Scott. Hi. Hey, what's going on? We're so excited. Thank you so much for calling into Profiles to talk about Samuel Jackson and working with him on The Negotiator. It's all good. <laughs> we were just re-watching this film, and I love it. I love the uh, the interaction between Sam Jackson and Kevin Spacey, two of the best actors of our time. Can you talk about why you think Samuel Jackson is one of the best actors out there? I think, you know, it's a lot of things. I mean... He's very, very powerful. But besides that, besides the powerful on the other end of the spectrum, he's re you relate to him. You know, you have these movie stars that are, you know, they feel the way they they almost feel untouchable. But Sam is powerful, but at the same time accessible. And I think people like that about. Him. Well, how did you come to cast him in The Negotiator? Wasn't Kevin Kevin Spacey supposed to play the, the hostage negotiator? How did Sam Jackson end up with that role? You know, it's interesting. Um, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, but <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester Stallone was supposed to play that role. Oh. Yeah. And um, I can't get into the details, but basically um, I joined the project and um, – you know, we ended up casting Sam. Now, you have to remember, it's 1996 or something like that. I forget what year it was. But, you know, there was no one hotter than Sam Jackson and Kevin Spacey at the time. They're coming off of the wave of uh, Pulp Fiction and also Usual Suspects. And, um, you know, I personally felt that there wouldn't be – there's no hotter, hotter duo. And, you know, besides the fact that they're, they're cool at the time, there's a lot of depth, you know, and you just wouldn't expect that duo. And, um, that's what I voted for. And, um, that's what we ended up with. And Sam Jackson, no one delivers a monologue quite like him. What was it like to work with him in this character in particular, who's a character that does talking for a living? <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Well, you know what? That was, it was actually really cool. It was, it was a challenge. I, I was 27 years old at the time. So it was a lot of, uh, learning for me. Um, I think I took more away from that movie than any other movie in terms of just the learning curve. You know, I learned to work with, um, real, you know, nothing before then. I don't work with real actors, but I, I worked with actors with a ton of experience. So for me, it was a little bit of a challenge, but 
ultimately it turned out great. Um, and like you said, Sam is amazing when you give him lines. And the more you give him, the more he just kind of turns up and brings a lot of life and color to him. So I, I, I enjoyed what we ended up doing, but honestly, it was really a learning process for me. Wow, wow. Well, 27, that's so young. That's young. Wow, <laughs> I feel old. Oh, how was the dynamic between Jackson? Yeah, I was a kid. <laughs> you know, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out ways to sort of articulate my ideas, and they're talking. You know, I think uh, Kevin had gone to Juilliard, and he had, <laughs> all, I think, directed Albino, Albino Alligator at the time. So yeah. I'm dealing with a director. I'm dealing with guys who have so much experience, and I'm this 27-year-old kid who, you know, could barely articulate his thoughts, but I knew what I thought was good, and I knew what I thought was cool. And so I just had to kind of learn through that movie, and um, they did a, a great job, you know, especially dealing with a novice. Well, actually, that's a great question. I would love to know, like, with Sam Jackson in particular, what you've learned as a director, because, I mean, you were only 27, and you made this great movie, and with these two amazing actors, one of them was already an Oscar winner. So, like, what did you learn as a director by working with an intense actor like Sam Jackson? Well, I guess I've learned this lesson already, so I, I I could put it out there and not be as embarrassed as I was when I figured out I wasn't doing it right. Um, I basically... I would direct from Video Village, and Video Village is just an area where they have a bunch of monitors set up, and you can watch the shot, and you can watch the actors. And um, I would sit in my chair and think that I knew what was happening on screen because I'm watching it. You know, it's just you know that that's what I saw. And what I learned was there are little nuances and little things that that actors do from little just behavioral cues that you pick up in a, in a wink or in a, a facial twitch or something like that, and you can't see it on those small monitors. Not until you see it on the big screen um, will you see that they made a choice, and that choice is um, illustrated in some of these smaller um, ch um, choices or physical things that they do. And so I remember one day um, I asked for a moment. I said, you know, I need a little more of this, whatever that was. And Stacey um, uh, at the time said, you know, I, I gave it to you. And um, I watched the dailies. He said, you know, I'll give you more, but, you know, just, you know, I gave it to you. So I, I watched the dailies, and I saw it on the screen, and it was this little eye flicker, which was the acknowledgement of what I wanted. And um, from that point on, I always directed next to the camera. And so it's the same with Sam Jackson. He really knows how to give you power and really go big and make you feel it. But then there are little things that he does as well that unless you're next to the camera, you won't find them and you and you won't see them. And um, I learned that lesson in a big way on The Negotiator. Wow. That's amazing because a lot of the movie is close-ups of these two characters and a lot of the movie is about their relationship and the way they talk to each other. Is it true that Kevin Spacey stayed on set to, to deliver his lines to Sam Jackson even when he wasn't on camera? You know, it was a combination of things. You know, there was a, you know it's so long ago. Um, <laughs> I wish I could give you all the details. <laughs> I do remember, though, that we shot a conversation with um, Kevin Sy one month, and then an entirely different month we shot uh, Sam Sy. And there were times where I'm on the phone um, <laughs> speaking to the actor, 
you know, and obviously if Kevin was available or Sam was available, then that, that happened. But it's a testament to their skill level to talk to a kid <laughs> on the other line or the script supervisor and give that type of performance. Again, it's just a testament to how skilled these guys are. Yeah. Well, Sam Jackson has made more than 100 movies. And what are some of your favorites and and why? Um, Jackie Brown because of that ponytail. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, Jackie Brown was dope. I mean, I just liked it because it was just gutter and just awesome. And you didn't know what to expect. But that's Tarantino. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Sam really finds a way to slip into a crazy pocket when he works with Tarantino. Like, that that duo is just an amazing duo. You you have duos that come along in film like Scorsese and De Niro, and, you know, you can go down the line of just famous duos, and I think the, the, paired up with Tarantino, he does a lot of his best work. So well, Jackie Brown's one. Um, Shaft was a really good one, too, because yeah. he just kicked ass. Um, I like, you know, him teaming up with John Singleton. And um, he did this one called The Negotiator that I thought was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that was really uh, great. Good. We love really it. Good. <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of the director, but I thought the performance was good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you know what, Gary? We are both, uh, Alicia and I are both seeing Straight out of Compton this week. Yes. And we are very, very excited about it. The movie opens August 14th. And yeah. this is a, you know, we're both for, I, I remember when that album came out and how, how, uh, how it shook the music industry up. So, uh, so what can people expect from, from straight out of Compton? They can expect the unexpected. You know, we've been screening this movie around the country. And the one thing that people say when they walk out is I didn't know. Wow. Oh my God. I did not expect to get that movie. And they love the movie. They're surprised when they walk out. You go, you experience a full range of emotions. It's not just a rap movie. And uh, people are surprised. The performances are great. It's American history. It's a lot of fun. Um, I don't even want to sound like I'm selling it hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm still a little bit like Donald Trump right now. But, <laughs> but it, it's not necessary. It really is good, and I'm really excited about it. Well, awesome. we're excited about it, too. And, Gary, thank you so much for calling the profiles. Again, Straight Out of Compton opens on August 14th. And, Gary, thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate your time and talking about the great Samuel L. Jackson. Thank you. That's right. You got it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Yes. Yay. That is how we Good roll. one. That's what Profiles is all yes. about. Give it another one. one and more. I'm straight out of Canberra. <laughs> so I don't remember that album coming out, but I'm looking forward to seeing Straight Out of Compton. I remember being in Philly, which is not Compton, but it's close enough. <laughs> close enough. When that movie came out, or when that album came out, rather. Yeah. And yeah, it was just one of those seminal albums like like Nirvana's Nevermind or something like that, where you just, it was such a, the right album at the right time mm-hmm. and ahead of its time and still holds up. But back to the others. Yeah, there's still plenty more plenty. Sam Jackson films. Just to, here, just to go through some more really quickly, uh, The Incredibles. Yeah. Frozone. Yeah, Frozone. I mean, I, I think that Sam Jackson has one of the coolest voices around, so it was great that he played a cool, uh-huh. ice cool character. Good hey, one, Miss Malone. Also love Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a mother effing plane. Snakes on a monkey fighting plane, if you watch it on TV. Uh, no. You know that famous line where he goes, I've had it with these mother effing snakes on this mother effing plane. If you watch it on TV, the TV edit says, I've had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. 
scene. Oh, that is so not the scene. <laughs> so funny. That is so not it's the scene. It's ridiculous. But Snakes on a Plane, as you mentioned before, it started out as this internet phenomenon because when people heard the very literal title, just your imagination went wild. You're like, what could it be? It's just, it seems so, yeah, exactly the as title it is. Says it's it all. just Snakes on a Plane and <laughs> Sam Jackson. How can that be? And it spawned all these great fan made videos, these t shirts, music videos. <laughs> and I went and saw it on my birthday when it came out. September 4th? Yep. 2006. Yes. Yes! I did. I know and dates. I, 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 me and my friends bought these t-shirts beforehand. We wore them to the cinema to see it and just loved every second of it. It was great. I'm gonna. I'm trying to convince Guilty Movie Pleasures to talk about it because well, I think they should. I think uh, it's interesting that when you bought that t-shirt, did you know that it was going to come in handy for an episode <laughs> of Profiles? No, but I knew I didn't want to throw it out. I mean, how long has it been? It's pretty tight now. Well, but you know, looks like you just still, bought it. Still rocking it. Another What's the movie I love, uh, Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. Deep Blue Sea is another movie. It's almost like a guilty pleasure uh, kind of film. It is Jaws on steroids. Oh, and what yeah. I love about Deep Blue Sea is how Sam Jackson meets his fate. Yep. I don't want to say too much about it, but halfway through the film, <laughs> something happens to Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. and it is an unforgettable scene that is worth the price of admission. I know. He's had that. He's had dinosaurs. Snakes. snakes. He's had to deal with a lot. Um, also want to talk about the brackets. So this week on our Facebook page, Profiles with Malone and Mance, they talked about their favorite Samuel L. Jackson characters. So the, uh, they, they said they left Jules out. So they left Jules out from Pulp Fiction because he won the Quentin Tarantino bracket. So the other characters they looked at was Mr. Glass from Unbreakable versus Valentine from Kingsman. Mr. Glass won. And then they did Stephen from Django Unchained versus Coach Carter. Oh. Stephen won. So it came down to the finals, Mr. Glass versus Stephen. Who do you think won as the favorite Samuel L. Jackson character, according to our profilers on our Facebook page? Stephen? No, Mr. Glass. Mr. Glass from Unbreakable. People love that movie. People do love that movie. Go back and watch it again. Yeah, I will. In fact, our good friend... Our favorite profiler, <laughs> film critic, Rachel Cushing, yeah. had this to say about Unbreakable. Okay, she's going to turn me, I know. Unbreakable, this will turn you. If I can't turn you to Unbreakable, Rachel Cushing will. She says, Unbreakable is the one M. Night Shyamalan film that has truly stood the test of time. And that is in no small part thanks to, uh, no small thanks to Samuel Jackson's brilliant performance as Mr. Glass. Jackson is always best when he's playing a cool character, but he gets to do so much more as Elijah Price, a sickly and brittle yet sophisticated and highly intelligent man with a love of comic books and an underlying obsession with finding his alter ego, someone who is as unbreakable as he is breakable. His simmering anger and bitterness play perfectly against Bruce Willis's understated hero, and the pair take the most interesting story Shaman has ever written to a whole new level. I'll give it another guy. Give it a go. I will. And speaking of comic books, let's get back into our Fast Five number three, which is... I don't remember giving you a key. You really think I'd need one? (laughs) Uh, Captain America, America, the Winter Winter Soldier, Soldier, released April 4th, 2014, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, cost mm-hmm. $170 million to make, $715 million worldwide, was nominated for an Oscar for visual effects. Now, I got to say that of all the Marvel Studios, Marvel Cinematic Universe films, 
This is the best one. This is my favorite one. Why? Because I feel like the Russo brothers elevated it by by looking at a way to shake up the story with the dismantling of S.H.I.E.L.D., with changing up the action, and then particularly, because I love my classic movies, the way that they looked at 70s conspiracy thrillers as influence. And some people out there say, no, it's nothing like it. Go watch Three Days of the Condor because that is very much where these guys got their inspiration for, for Captain America the Winter Soldier. Also, I like the fact that Natasha Romanoff, played by Scarlett Johansson, has more of a role here. You get to find out more about her. And I think Nick Fury is used in an interesting way. So even though this was the sixth time that Sam Jackson had played Nick Fury in film, for me, it's the most interesting. Yeah, it was the film that you finally had. He finally had more to do. Yeah. And he's in the middle of this whole operation. And he also was in the middle of a crazy attack ambush on his car or his uh, SUV. And it it was just, I felt the closest we've gotten yet to a Nick Fury standalone movie. Why we haven't gotten that standalone movie yet is a a mystery to me. But what I loved about The Winter Soldier was that because of Nick Fury and the Falcon and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, it it felt like a mini Avengers movie unto itself. Mm -hmm. And because it did have a better story, Story. Like you said, it was a nod to the 70s conspiracy yeah. movies, political thrillers. Robert, Robert Redford. Redford. Robert incredible. Redford. It was incredible. And he was in Three Days of the Condor. Yeah. Um, you know, Nick Nick Fury. Uh, it inter- was like all the origin stories were done. So now you can get into the meaty Just stuff. Just tell a good story. Just meaty tell a good gritty. story. I mean, everyone loves the Avengers movie, the first movie. I mean, I liked it. It was fun. But this one just had such a better story. Story. That's the main thing. And Variety agreed in their review back in 2014, said it's chock full of breathless cliffhangers dictated by the genre, but equally rich in quieter, tender character moments. I also loved that the the only Easter egg I got, uh, I understood from the film, because, of course, there were a lot of little moments that comic book fans would have understood. And I was sitting next to Tiffany Smith, I think, and she was like, oh, oh, oh. And understanding everything. The one that I got, yep. which I loved, was Nick Fury's tombstone, which says, The Path of the Righteous Man, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ezekiel 2517. So yep. that's a little nod to Pulp Fiction, Nothing and Pulp I thought Fiction. that was great. And it's interesting that he, back in 2001, Sam Jackson gave his consent to Marvel to use his likeness for the ultimate version of Nick Fury and then 2008 he began to play the character and he has a nine picture deal he's played him now seven times Mm -hmm. the next two who knows I don't know if he's going to be in Civil War so we'll wait and see he says he doesn't know but he thought he was so who knows what's going to happen with that maybe they're saving him for the standalone but yeah that's always been the rumor hasn't it the Nick Fury standalone and I'd like to know more about his character I think he's cool so he's come how did he lose his eye? Have they ever said that? Uh, I, I, I will find out in the standalone movie, yeah, you know? But you're right. Know. The way he's come full circle by giving him the, <laughs> allowing Marvel to use the likeness for the comics, and he winds up playing him. Yeah. But I just remember watching Iron Man, the first Iron Man, in May of 2008. The end of that film. The end of that film, and mm-hmm. then the closing credits, and then the post-credit scene. That was like the first time that we'd had this post-credit scene. For yeah, the first Marvel movie like this. But you know, no one expected that scene, that very last scene, where 
where he's basically launching the Avengers Initiative. Clever. It was so cool. And then that launched everything that, that we see now. That changed everything. I mean, it changed the, the game. The, it changed the game. I mean, the, the, it's unprecedented what these Marvel Cinematic Universe movies have managed to do. To create to, a universe. To create the Avengers and to follow them with like Phase 2 and Phase 3. And now every other studio, especially DC, is trying to catch up and they're just so behind yeah they need a nick fury cool character they like need a that. nick fury chuck wood the third <laughs> said this about captain america the winter soldier samuel jackson's performance as nick fury in captain america and the other marvel cinematic universe films sits very high on the list of some of my favorite performances in not just one but multiple superhero films he brings such a different take on the universe that makes nick fury a very essential part of the mcu as we say no nick fury no avengers <laughs> Simple as that. Very true. Well, uh, Danny Birdsell says, Nick Fury was literally created from Samuel L. Jackson. So him portraying him in the film is a perfect comic book casting as you could ever hope for. He is an actor who dominates the screen and always has a dynamic presence in even the smallest of cameos. When he does get the screen time he deserves, he is able to pull off the comedic dialogue as well as the badass action sequences. He is an actor like no other and will be remembered for generations to come and because of all his small roles in the Marvel films that's part of the reason why he's one of the highest grossing or he's the highest grossing actor of all time he has the Guinness World Record for that and also I mean look at the Star Wars prequels yeah I think he even got the world record before Marvel and now he must just be off the charts he's off the charts it's got to be like over 7 billion (laughs) dollars worldwide well that brings us to number two a movie we already talked about a little which is but let me give you some advice Never say no to a hostage taker. It's in the manual. Now, are, are you going to tell me no again? No, I'm not. No, uh, wrong answer. <laughs> okay, don't want to mess with Samuel Jackson in The, the Negotiator, Negotiator, July 29th, 1998, directed by our special guest that we just spoke to, F. Gary Gray. That was a great conversation. Cool. Cost $50 million to make. Only made $44.5 million at the box office. Too bad. So if you're watching or listening to Profiles, please watch The Negotiator. Mm. It's an underseen film. In fact... In fact, I confess that I had not seen this movie until my partner in crime here said, you got to see The Negotiator. It's got to be on our list. And she was absolutely right. It is a great movie. It is the dog day afternoon of the 90s. True. I mean, I had so much fun rewatching this again because it moves at such a great pace and it has such a great style. I had no idea that F. Gary Gray was only 27 (laughs) when he made this movie because he, I mean, much like Coach Carter, which is very formulaic, if you look at The Negotiator, it has all the cliches and formulas of this kind of genre, this kind of film, but the style elevates it. It's yep. the score, the way the camera moves, the pace of the film. It Smart keeps you story. guessing right to the end. Yep. I mean, you know that his character didn't do it, but you don't know who actually did, and he's trying to find out. Plus, it uses Kevin Spacey and Sam Jackson against each other and with each other and just in the right way because they're both such great actors they're both great at delivering monologues and they're both great at playing like Kevin Spacey is great at playing this calm very calm guy he plays the negotiator and then Sam Jackson is great at playing the guy who could could go off the rails at any moment and also is quite funny and one step ahead very smart well the movie is called The Negotiator but it should be called The Negotiators because they both had the job double Uh, but Entertainment Weekly in their review from 1998 Owen Gleiberman said just about everyone is blowing off steam or hiding holding it in and that's the movie's chief pleasure Mm -hmm. and go ahead I was going to say Roger Ebert 
Roger Ebert. Said much of the movie simply consists of close-ups of the two of them talking, but it's not simply dialogue because the actors make it more. They invest with conviction and urgency. And urgency, and no one writes better than our profilers. Cole Boone <laughs> said about the negotiator, one of Samuel Jackson's more underrated and overlooked films, in my yeah, opinion. I agree. Uh, it's one of those intense, nail-biting films with a unique premise that you don't often see Hollywood make anymore. Mm. Jackson's Danny Roman is a man you are rooting for the entire time even through the questionable decisions Mm -hmm. and the back and forth between him and Kevin Spacey's Chris Sabian Sabian is what brings you back for repeat viewings F. Gary Gray's direction was fantastic way to go F. Gary Gray Mm -hmm. and the negotiator benefits from Jackson's strong co-lead performance so that means our fast five number one has got to be oh oh you ready to blow yeah I'm ready to blow well I'm a mushroom cloud laying mother motherfucker every time my fingers touch brain i'm super fly tnt i'm the guns of the navarone i love that i didn't want to use the ezekiel because we already talked about it before pulp fiction so many great lines in this film oh i'm sorry did i break your concentration i love it (laughs) so great released october 14th 1994 (laughs) directed by the one and only quentin tarantino seven oscar nominations including supporting actor samuel jackson's only oscar nom to date Mm -hmm. one win for best screenplay cost 8.5 million made over 214 million worldwide won the palme d'or at the 1994 Cannes film festival well after playing big don in true romance which was written by quentin tarantino tarantino contacted samuel jackson and said that he wrote the the part of Jules Winifield for Samuel L. Jackson. And then he he went to audition, but Sam Jackson didn't actually know it was an audition. He thought it was just a reading. So he went and he just read the lines. He didn't give much to it. He almost lost the role because of that. Because the studio was like, you really want him? He wasn't a star at this point. No, that's right. So like, you really want him? And uh, Paul... Calderon, who's a Puerto Rican actor, and he has a small role in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, he's uh, Marsalis Wallace's assistant. assistant. Yeah, he also auditioned for the role of Jules, and he was so good that he he almost got it. And then they said to Sam, can you come back and do another audition? And of course, he nailed it. And now he's Jules, and this is the film that made him a star. When he went back, when he went back for that second audition, yeah. he brought a burger and a coke with him. <laughs> yeah. So he's standing in front of Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> like with this burger and coke, just like he did in front of Frank Whaley before he he whacked him. Yeah. And they were terrified of him, and that's how he got the job. He is great. He is great. Uh, this is definitely a star-making performance, and it is a masterpiece movie uh, created a genre unto itself. It is a non-linear structure. We talked about this so much when we did our Quentin Tarantino yeah. profiles. But Jules is like, as we were saying before, he's an interesting character. He's Shakespearean in a way. You know, he has these great monologues. He always looks cool, uh, and he's someone that you like. I mean, you like this buddy duo that you've yeah. got. Yeah. Oh there. yeah, Jules and you and love Vince. Jules and Vince together. Yeah, they're great, even though they. Get on each other's talk. nerves. Yeah. You know, hearing them talk about Royale with cheese in the yeah, car. It's, it's great. It's great. And when that came out, what, the first time you're watching this, it's like they're having a totally more meaningless, pointless conversation, yeah. but you're hanging on every word. Exactly. And they just made this dialogue. Set, I mean, it, it's a tribute to not only Tarantino as a screenwriter, but also to Travolta and Jackson as performers that they could make it sound so natural. Exactly. And I agree with F. Gary Gray that the combination of Sam Jackson and Quentin Tarantino is brilliant. Yeah. I love like when those two work together. De Niro and Scorsese. Yeah. It's like, uh, 
Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. they're they're sort of new. Uh, <laughs> but going back to my good, uh, my the esteemed Roger Ebert, <laughs> yeah. he said it's so well written with it in a scruffy fanzine way that you want to rub noses in it the noses of those zombie school writers who take screenwriting classes that teach them how to formula uh, for big hit films yeah but it's just such a well-written such a great movie and entertainment weekly said as superb as travolta willis and Keitel are the actor who reigns over pulp fiction is samuel l jackson he just about lights fires with his gremlin eyes <laughs> and transforms his speeches into hypnotic bebop soliloquies. I Ooh, love that. Wow, that's a good one. And Nicholas Maglieri says, Pulp Fiction may have the most quotable, memorable movie script of all time in no small part due to Samuel L. Jackson's performance as Jules. Of all his great lines, the Ezekiel 2517 monologue is particularly memorable, partly because of the way Jackson changes the way it's uttered by the end of the film, giving it new meaning. Even though Jules is a mob hitman, Samuel L. Jackson plays the role with enough charisma that we can't help but like him as soon as we see him. And Such a cool character. Cool character and ending it off is Camille Howard who says, Pulp Fiction changed everything. Yes, it did. And even with Samuel L. Jackson's relatively off-the-wall performance, he is the most grounded character in the whole movie. His monologues all come from a land of make-believe that only Tarantino can write in, and they are delivered stunningly by Jackson. In a film that almost resembles an anthology, Jules is the right man to close the story and to tie everything together. We're pretty lucky we caught him at such a trend transitional period yes we are say what one more say time what? one more time mother effer <laughs> well before we close out the show just want to take care of business one last mm-hmm. time again make sure you go to itunes and subscribe to profiles this is really important please subscribe to profiles rate and review us on itunes of all the things that you could be doing this is where we sort of stay alive with this podcast rate and review us go to youtube dot com backslash popcorn talk network and subscribe to the youtube version of profiles make sure you share that with everyone please get your friends to share that as well go to our facebook page profiles with malone and mance mm-hmm. and 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 uh, uh like, like it. our facebook page so you can be the first ones to find out who our next profile is mm-hmm. you can be the first ones to write comments that we will read and chime in on the brackets yeah. make sure you share profiles with everyone everyone you can and make sure you follow us on twitter at alicia malone at movie mance at alicia malone at movie mance at alicia malone at movie mance because it's all about the pause and that means we close our books on this episode of profiles once again the rundown coming in at number five die Die hard hard with with a vengeance vengeance. number four coach Coach carter Carter. number three captain Captain america America, the the winter Winter soldier Soldier. number two the The negotiator Negotiator. and number one pulp Pulp fiction Fiction. one more high five for the road thanks so much for joining us on profiles we'll see you soon until next time bye From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. <laughs>